The scripture that today's sermon is based on um, is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That's right. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this Psalm, Psalm 51, is absolutely one of the most famous Psalms. We all love it. Um, but the reason we typically love it is because we relate to it. It's, this is our sin. It's well known and loved. I mean, if you just look at, at, at verse three, uh, my sin is always before me. We can relate to that, that misery of, Oh, my, I, I, you know, my folly, my failings, my inability, or just my blatant screwing up, choosing to screw up. This is always before me. And um, the contrast with that of uh, wash me with hyssop and I will be clean, verse seven. Uh, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That is something so tangible with us. So when we read this Psalm, Psalm 51, when we just read it, I want to ask you, where's your focus? Where's your focus? And that, that, that is what it typically is, is it's my sin. I'm such a, such a mess. And, and that's all directly in the Psalm. But I want to kind of challenge us to look and ask, is that the primary focus uh, of this psalm? So let me share my screen real, with you real quick. Oh, this is, hold on, sorry. I can't see the little button. 
There we go. Um, and it's basically coming in here and saying, let, let me point out at just a few things. So first of all, is look at verse one. And we're looking right now just for the meta, uh, big picture, the overall, where is the, the big lens God wants you to look at when you see this. Look at verse one. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Our sin is no doubt as such. It's the, the context of the psalm. It's the reason for the psalm. It's everything there. But you'll notice right away, according to, this is kind of like saying this is the measure of. Here's the measure of this psalm, your steadfast love. You know, so if you do, if you've ever done um, construction, uh, in construction, there's a, uh, uh, a concept of, um, uh, of a plumb line. You have a plumb line and everything is built off that, you know, or if you've even drawn or you're trying to draw anything, you have to set your, your line and then everything is built off of that. So the line in this Psalm is according to your stable, steadfast, always present love. It's your abundant mercy or that that mercy really is abundant, tender mercy. Like it's not just mercy from a judge. This is mercy from your most intimate father. This is the measure of this Psalm. It sets it up. First one is there to say, okay, we're going to set up the framework. The framework, the measure of is your constant, stable, ever-present love. That's why steadfast. It's like ever there. It doesn't change. And that this abundant, meaning not limited, tender mercy from your papa. But let's take a look uh, at uh, another um, verse. And let's see this one. Wait, no. Oh, this one. Sorry, I'm, I'm struggling with Zoom a little bit on the screen sharing. So, um, so let's look at, at uh, verse four. I said, I haven't, like when you read this, let's, we'll read verse three first. This is, you know, if you know the context, this is when David, um, King David in the Old Testament um, went and to Bathsheba, saw Bathsheba. She was beautiful. He's drawn in. He calls for her to come meet with the king and he has sex with her, uh, adultery. And her husband is off. He's one of the, the generals in, uh, in King David's uh, army, and he's off at war. And so not only does he commit adultery, but as, you, as you, most of you know the story, he, uh, to cover his adultery, he tries to get Uriah to come back, and he gets him to come back, and he thinks, well, he'll go and sleep with his wife, and then he'll think the, the child is his. Um, that's scheming. Uh, it doesn't work. And then he um, then sends Uriah back to battle and tells them to draw back from Uriah uh, once they get into the heat of battle and has him killed through this command. So he's an adulterer and he is a, 
And then the person he commits adultery against, Uriah, he murders. So in light of that, that's why it says, you know, my transgressions, my rebellions, my failures are always before me. But verse 4 has always confused me about this psalm. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Uh, to me, that's just crazy. It's like, no, you you harmed Uriah terribly. Uh, so how does this even make sense? So again, we've already seen verse 1 sets it up. The lens is God and his love. God and his abundant mercy. Verse 4 is coming back and saying, the lens, the framework, the understanding of this psalm is against you and you only. Uh, the idea here is this, and we'll 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 go into the psalm later, this verse later. But the idea of um, if you're writing with your grandpa, you're a little kid, you're four, and you're writing with your grandpa, your grandpa that is dearly loved and close, and in his truck, and you have an ice cream that he gave you and you decide to throw it at somebody. Your grandpa is going to be, you've sinned against me. You've sinned against me. You've harmed me. And in fact, when you're all said and done, when you go home and you talk about it, your real shame is going to be towards your grandpa. Yeah. You threw an ice cream at somebody and maybe hit him. It was insane. People don't do that. People also don't commit adultery and then murder the person, the the husband of the the the, the offended husband. Um, that's insane. But the idea is that relational thing would make it where grandpa's like, you know what? This is where it is. So the this relation with God, this picture with God, that's actually the framework and the lens of this psalm. So let me show you one other thing here uh, that that explains the uh, place of this psalm, and it's the verbs. So we're just all we're going to do is we're going to slow down in the psalm, and we're going to do two things. We're going to look at synonyms, and we're going to look at grammar. And for grammar, we're just going to really look at the uh, the verbs of this psalm. So notice this just as we as we go through here. Like, look at this. Have mercy. Oops, have mercy on me, oh God, right? Uh, give me one second. Blot out, right? These are commands. These are imperatives that David is doing to God. Wash me, right? Cleanse me, right? Look at seven. Purge me. Wash me. We're not getting into the meaning of this right now. I mean, a little bit, but what you know is... Uh, let me hear. Um, let the bones. These are both. These are both uh, directed to God. Hide your, blot out, create, renew. These are all directed to God. You start to notice this. The psalm is loaded. All of the verbs of this psalm. Most of the verbs. There are a few things like I was here, uh, etc. And uh, there's some I verbs in three through six. It's like an interlude. But this psalm is primarily exhortation, imperative exhortations to God. 
purge me, wash me, uh, cause me to hear joy, cause the bones. That's what eight is. It's, these are like, um, make this happen, God. Hide your blot out. Create, renew, God. It's this plea, but the focus is, God, cast me not away. Take not, Lord. You don't, you create, you renew, you cast not me away. You you don't take me. You restore, Lord. You uphold um, and you deliver me. Oh, Lord, you open my lips. And verse 18, you do good to me. You, Lord, build up the walls. Like you see, this is un... We can't see your screen right now. Is that intentional? No, it's not. I've been highlighting this. <laughs> All this highlighting you missed out, but, you know, wa have mercy, wash me, blot out. You know, verse 1 and 2, 3 through 6 is an interlude. It's more an interlude of reality. And then 7, 8, you see all these verbs, uh, 10, 11, 13, uh, you know, 15, uh, 16 and 17 create another interlude. And then uh, the conclusion in 18 and 19. It's all these verbs. So the, the meta lens is that this, this whole lens is God and his promises. That's what's going on here, that we're to uh, focus on God and his promises and see the hope and the expectation that he's created. So let's just kind of go through this now in, uh, in this uh, context. So um, what we have here is um, verse one, have mercy upon me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin and failure. Mm -hmm. And this idea of the, the circle of this psalm is God as a papa, and his intimate relationship with you and all of his promises to you. Now the, the subject there, our sin is there, but it's not the circle. The circle is God and his promises and our sin is the subject within that circle. So blot out my transgressions, my rebellions. I mean, we all know that, idea of our misery. You know, I think verse four is, I'm sorry, verse three is awesome. Uh, for I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. That whole idea of, I know my miseries and my sin is ever before me. And when you look at it with verse five combined, look at verse five. He says, behold, I was bought forth in iniquity and, 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 and in sin, my mother conceived me. Here's David talking about this individual sin, but he's not talking about it in light of this one historical sin or this set of sins in a place of time. In verse five, he goes further than that. He makes it like 
this is my state. I'm not just a horrific sinner that my current sin is ever before me, but rather I've gone and I can see I've always been this way. There's not a path of relief for David in this. There's not, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to share my screen right now. Um, there's not a path of, of, of relief for David in this right now he is seeing that he's all together we're we're all together fail frail unfaithful errant weak uh from the time i was conceived and that's that idea of uh being so weak that there's no path of remedy that's where when you see my sin is ever before me verse 3 and then you go to verse five, so much so that I've always been this way. I've always been frail. I've always been errant. I've always been twisted. There's never been a time that I wasn't this. That's what's verse five. There's never been a time I wasn't unfaithful and wandering and trying to leave you, my father, my my grandfather in the truck and be my own king, throw off uh, your parental loving kingship. And uh, it's so interesting too, when you see um, verse five and six together, um, those two uh, are really interesting to me because um, you, you go to this, and we, the contrast between verse six, you delight in truth in the inward being, and then go backwards to verse five. Uh, I was brought forth from the very beginning in iniquity. My very substructure <laughs> of who I am is twisted, it's distorted. Um, in sin or, uh, you know, in essence, I was born a failure. What he's saying is from day one, I was a failure. I was a sinner. And yet, if that's who I am, and this truth of verse six is you delight for someone to be true from their inner being outward. That's what you delight. I'm the complete, complete opposite of this. And this is the standard of, of who we are and what we're about. It's horrifying. Um, this is, uh, and, and, and that's the context that you teach me that, that, that we're, we're failing. We're, we're in that unable to do it. Um, but you notice first the, Second part of verse six, part B says, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Just that always confused me. It always confused me. What do you mean um, against you and you only have a sin? And I've already kind of said that it's, it's this close, intimate relationship. And then here, how is it that I am this utter failure from day one, my sin is ever before me, and yet you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. 
Um, and we'll get into that. Let's let's go forward um, to the uh, verse seven and go forward that we have two triads of exhortation here, right? And uh, and that he comes and these first triad is one about being clean. And so we have kind of a very simple principle. We have A, this is B, and this is A. So it forms like a thing. So you see these, he says, purge me, wash me. And then you notice this, hide from my sin, from your face, blot out. Like these are all parallel. And this idea that if you wash me, and cleanse me, I will be clean, and I will be whiter than snow. The results here is looking to our Father, saying to our Father, I need to be whiter than snow. I will be clean. If you wash me, I will be clean. I'll be whiter than snow. The idea is you do it. You notice this? You do it, Lord. Not me. I can't offer anything. You demand truth. You don't just delight in truth in the inward man. You demand truth in the inward person, in the inward man. And I don't have any of that. So I come in a desperation and I say this. I say, Lord, you wash me. You hold me. You cleanse me. And then if that happens, then... These beautiful, beautiful words here, then I shall be clean. I'm clean. I'm pure. You know, what are synonyms for clean? I'm pure. I'm without any error. I'd be whiter than snow. If you wash me, you will find me more beautiful than the best, purest fresh snowdrift. Hide your face from my sin. Like you don't even see, make it where my sin is not even visible. You must do this. I don't have it. You must do this. Oh Lord, this is, this is our hope, brothers and sisters, is that we get to come that, to before God and say, you know what? I can't do this. Lord, you get to hide my sin. That is our privilege as sons and daughters of the living King, that our King, God Almighty, is also our dear, dear Father that holds us close. And he says, hide, we say, hide your face from my sins. And he does it. This isn't just like, oh, please hide my face from your sins. And, and, we're not sure if he's going to do it or not. This is hide your face from my sins, and he is going to do it. Blot out all my iniquities, verse 9. He will do it, and the result is verse 8. Verse 8 is that pinnacle in this triad between 7, 8, and 9. It's the peak of the, of the pyramid, and verse 8 says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. The idea here is that this is the result of 
all of this purging, all this action of God. Like, if you cleanse me and all this, Lord, it's even going further. Not only restore the holiness and the intimacy between us and make me worthy of your love, worthy of your, your care, but the idea of even further, Lord, make it me so worthy of your care that I now am laughing. I'm now joyful. I'm now full of excitement. Uh, Lord, you do it so much that I have the knowledge that you delight in me so much that I, I'm just pure. I'm just clean. I'm forever yours. Um, this is, you know, and the idea is, you know, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I love that. Um, because think about it. When you sin, what's it like? Uh, it's miserable. When you're stuck and your sin's ever before you, what does it feel like in your body? It feels absolutely miserable. And this idea is the bones is this inner part of our being, like that inside of my body that's just drugged down. God, make me so clean and so right with you that, that I now am rejoicing. And you know, that whole idea, joy and rejoice, these are words that are kind of foreign to us in America. It's just in contemporary English, joy and rejoice, these are just not words we use anymore. They've really slipped out of, of, of any kind of modern vocabulary. And so you have to kind of come and say, you know, this, what this means is uh, the idea of um, just that, you know, when you're like, feel so welcome or things have gone so well that you're just full of happiness. You're full of joy. You're full of happiness. You're full of relief. You know, it's the idea of um, if you, you know, the, somebody gets the, the position, the job they've wanted for such a long time and they get that and that, picture of joy as they go and start telling people a, a a bride who just gets engaged to the love of her life that moment um that afterglow so to speak um you know or when a when a family gets pregnant and you know it's like people talk about the glow uh which is real well that's what he's saying let me be so right with you that I'm just glowing. My bones that are broken are, uh, my body is just glowing now uh, because of you. And so, and then there's a second triad here um, I want to show you guys. And uh, it's pretty cool. So this is the first triad, right? This one is about restoring relationship. But again, it's all God action. The second triad is right here. And uh, I love this. So this is A, this is B, this is A. Again, just think like a pyramid. In these, the top of the pyramid is the tends to be the focus, right? Um, so we see these same kind of verbs, create, renew, you create, you renew, you restore, you uphold me, right? And in the middle, it says, 
uh, it says, cast me not, right? In other words, keep me, take not. In other words, keep, keep. You'll notice the middle is all about presence. Cast me not away from your presence. Keep me, just keep your face before me and me before your face. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Keep me so much before you. But you'll notice where the previous triad, these were about removing sin, removing guilt, making me just wider than the whitest snow, making it where there is zero uh, follies before you. I'm just worthy before you, so much so that I can delight. I don't hide my face. I rather run to you like a child um, runs to his daddy when he hasn't seen him for a while. This one is a different triad. This is about make me what I'm supposed to be. I've sinned, so I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. I need purity. I need holiness. I need to be respectable. I need to be valuable. Now this is go more than that and make me what I'm supposed to be, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. That means, uh, in essence, uh, a clean heart is, um, let's see, how would I put this? Um, A clean heart is like, make my heart with pure desires. And notice he puts the obligation totally on God. This is by you, my father, my papa. Um, you, papa, make my heart pure. Give my heart, make my heart with pure desires. And then he goes a little further in verse 10, um, 10 and 12, kind of in, in a certain way, are really a pinnacle in the psalm. Creating me a pure heart with pure desires, renew a right spirit within me. So we've already said in verse 6, back here, you delight in truth in the inward being, but I was brought forth in iniquity. Now he's saying, Lord, you give me an inner spirit that is right, that is aligned with you. You make my spirit, my inner person aligned with you, Father. And this is the idea, uh, is that you make me integrously right. What's a synonym for right? Integris, integrity. You make me integrously aligned with you. To make me, my spirit, to seek you, aligned to seek you, aligned to pursue you, aligned to delight in you. Lord, you make my inner person uh, everything it needs to be to obey, to follow what you call me to, to follow what you are uh, offering to. Um, uh, you know, and that's the, the whole idea here is that, you know, if Romans 6 were uh, uh, slaves of righteousness, then sin is actually a foreign element. It's like someone digesting something that's foreign and not made for the body. And, uh, and he's coming and saying, make my spirit not go feed on sin. Give me a willing 
spirit. Um, and I'm jumping into verse 12 and he says, restore me to me, the joy of your salvation. And I want to focus more on right now on, and uphold me with a willing spirit, make my spirit willing to go after you. This is, this is what the promise is to those who sin is we get to come that we have such a relationship with our father, with our Papa, that we get to come and say, uh, Lord, make my spirit willing to follow you. I don't have a willing spirit. And we get to do this with confidence, with expectation, with trust. And that's the idea of um, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's um, kind of like saying, um, cause me to see that your salvation is presence and all-encompassing. You could really sum up this whole psalm in the results of this. It's like, Lord, cause me, like he doesn't even say, I need to see that your salvation is all-encompassing. Notice it's your salvation, not my salvation. Um, restore the joy in your salvation, and you do that. Make me to see, uh, make me to hope, give me the expectation that your salvation is all-encompassing and covers everything, that all these things, uh, I can have this gladness and confidence in you. It's kind of like we talked about Psalm 73 last time we were together, and that idea of um, I get to see you now as my papa. You know, it's the lens to see that your salvation is sure. It's all-encompassing. It will bring me all the way through. And that's what Psalm 73 says. It says, you know, you hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, just like a child. You will guide me and direct me. You will hold me. Your salvation is that you will hold me all the way to the end. You will take me. You will uh, finish the job. And the job you're doing, you not will just finish it, but the job you're doing while you finish it, it's glorious. You will bring me to glory, but you are doing glory now. It's stellar. There's uh, this whole idea and that idea of rejoicing in you is this whole light is to bring and to let me know that I will forever be in your presence. Keep me in your presence. Don't take me from your presence, Lord. Um, don't take me whole in your spirit. Uh, in other words, this is all on God to do this and uphold me with a willing spirit that, you know, all of this comes from you. And then you start to notice the exhortations continue, but then it adds this cool little word here, then. Then, if you do this and this and this and this, if you cleanse me, if you wash me, if you blot out, if you keep me, if you restore to me, if you uh, create in me, uh, if you uphold me, um, then I will obey. Then I will teach rebels or transgressors 
your ways and sinners will return from you. He goes back to exhortation, Lord, it's on you to deliver me from blood guiltiness. And I would dare to say the blood guiltiness here is not just the murder, but as he said, this was this is my state from day one. And the idea is I can't even align my spirit with you, God. I can't even make myself aligned to seek you or to want to seek you. You have to, you know, that last phrase, verse 12b, uh, uphold me with a willing spirit. In essence, come hold me up by my armpits, Lord. That's what he's saying. You will hold me up with my armpits so much that I, I rejoice in your salvation. And, uh, and, and, and he's saying, deliver me from this guiltiness of really seeing that I am the focus of my life, that I have turned from you and chosen my own kingship. Oh God, of my salvation. And if you deliver me, my tongue, I will obey. I will sing your praise. I will sing of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So we're casting ourselves wholly and completely upon God, both for cleansing and for willingness and for everything that we would want to be. And that brings us to this conclusion, four verses. It's a, we've had two triads. This is uh, a quad of four verses, and it goes in this ABA, ABBA section. So what we have here is this, is this is A, this is B, this is B2, so to speak, and this is A2. And this sums up everything. Oh, you can't see my screen. Awesome. Okay, so this is this is A, this is B here, uh, this is B2 and A2. This is the conclusion. So it's a summary. I was saying it goes in this A, B, B, A thing. So this is the uh, pyramid. It just kind of has a little things where these are, these are parallel. And what I want you to want to do here, um, and I'm going to say to conclude, but by that, I mean, we have about four minutes left, um, is notice the parallel between 16 and 19. So 16 says, you will not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it you will not be pleased with burnt offerings. And the look at 19 says the same exact thing. It says, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole offerings. So here you won't delight in sacrifice and offerings. Here you will delight in sacrifices, burnt offerings. So what's the difference? The difference is, Verse 17 and 18, which 17 and 18 sum up everything the verses, the chapters talked about, the Psalms talked about. So let's take a look at it. 17 says, um, let's get a cleaner version. I think I have one more here. Yeah. 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And um, this is the idea of a broken heart is admitting everything that we've talked about so far. It's seeing that, God, I don't have it. 
I don't have it to be clean. I don't have it to be holy. I can't make myself pure. In fact, I'm wholly unpure. That's a broken spirit. That's a contrite heart. But a contrite heart goes further. A contrite heart says, Lord, I can't even align myself with you. You align myself with you. You make me willing. You um, create a heart that desires purity, a clean heart, a heart that desires you. You create a spirit that is aligned with you, aligned with your desires. You need to create that. You need to renew that in me. You need to uphold me and hold me up with a, a spirit that will finally be willing. Lord, these things, that's what a, a, a broken and contrite heart looks to. Uh, it's this idea of God, I'm yours. Um, uh, you love me, you accept me and I'm so taken care of and you give me everything. You provide even my spirituality, Lord. You know, it's a Lord, I've sinned against you, against you, my father, my dear father. I was with you. You, we were together in the truck. Grandpa, we were together in the truck and, and you had your arm around me sitting right next to each other. And that's when I sinned. That's when I went astray. And I said, I don't want you to be my father. I don't want you to be my papa. I want to go and do my other things. I, I chose other things beside the good you offered me. I chose to eat poison. Even when you put beautiful delights right in front of me in your presence, I turned from that that's what a contrite spirit is. So that's one. And the second part of the top of the pyramid is 18. Lord, do good. Do good. I have nothing, but Lord, I have this. I have every confidence. Lord, you do good to me. Build me. And look at this, build up the walls. What does that mean? What are synonyms for that? It's like build up my strength, build up my ability, make me stable. Lord, build up my walls, make me stable, make me secure, make me where I don't go away. Walls would protect and make it where it's not going to change. Lord, you develop good for me. You do good for me. And Lord, don't just do good for me but do good for me out of your good pleasure. Do good because it's what you want to do. Make it do good and build me up and make me stable from that. And this kind of changes our whole concept of obedience in this Psalm. Obedience in this Psalm is really seeing that God is the one that provides. He is the one that does good. He's the one that makes us stable and that our hope of being, he's the one that makes our will, our spirit willing, that our hope of being all these things comes from our Papa and our God. And that's why we have 16 and 19. They're exactly parallel. They're exactly parallel. But 16 is, I'm going to muster up and do what I can to do these religious practices. There's nothing wrong with in this psalm with sacrifice. There's nothing wrong with burnt offerings, but the sacrifices that we bring 
trying to make up and work up and do, I'm going to offer these sacrifices so that you will love me. I'm going to offer these sacrifices so that you'll forgive me. I'm going to offer these sacrifices so that I will be willing and worthwhile. Those are sacrifices that God will despise. He will reject. There's no place in them in in your life for those kind of sacrifices, dear brother and sister. Those kind of sacrifices God will not delight in. He will reject wholly. The sacrifices of God are a heart that is broken and contrite and says, what do I have to offer but that you will do good to me? Oh God, out of your good pleasure, I have this every confidence that you will delight, you will be excited to do good to me and to make me stable. And then if I come with that broken and contrite heart, oh, I can offer any religious practice and those same religious practice, I can pray, I can read my Bible, I can fellowship, I can do everything, but I'm coming from this and now they're your very delight, then you will delight in sacrifices. Then there will be, because why? Notice this very important word as our last thing. They will be right sacrifices. Our offering, our obedience comes from this, that you are my papa. You were always with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. There's never a time when I don't have my Papa with me. So the God's promises is the lens and the perspective of the situation and the standard of the Christian life, the standard of obedience in this Psalm is, do you choose God's promises as the lens from which you see your life? That's what God offers us in here and that he is always with us and to see that he will always provide and build us up. Amen.